The dragon swoops down, breathing fire upon the field. Luckily, you're out of the path of destruction. It's your turn. What do you want to do? Okay, I'm going to pick up the top half of that stone windmill that fell over earlier and throw it at the dragon. Um, that, that structure is easily over two tons. So you're saying I need to roll high. And what did you say your character's strength was? Mm, it's an eight. All right, I'm ready to go. All right, you can uh, you can definitely try. Sweet, nat 20. I'm totally throwing that windmill. No, no, you aren't. But, but it's a nat 20. That's an automatic success. Look, you're a halfling bard. It would take your entire village to lift this thing. But, but nat 20. In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about critical successes and critical failures. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And as we mentioned, we are talking about critical successes and failures today, but but let's talk a little bit more about the goals are. And, and the first one in my mind is to really drill down into what the rules say about critical critical successes and critical failures. Because you before you decide that you're going to do something different than the rules, it helps to know what the rules are. Absolutely. Yeah. When I first started DMing, I was constantly flipping through the books just to make sure like, okay, well, what does happen when someone rolls a one or someone rolls a 20? Yep. And, uh, and then beyond that, our, our goal is to really talk about some options that either uh, Felicia or I or mm-hmm. other people that we know have done that have changed up those critical successes and critical failures uh, a little bit. Because uh, there's some spicy. Th- yeah, keeping it spicy. Because there's some things that really uh, we felt like could use a little bit of change. Mm, yeah. And, and the whole reason for that is to give you the information so you can decide what's best for your game. Because what's best for mine or Felicia's game is is not necessarily the end-all be-all. We'd love to think so, but... Uh, <laughs> But every every DM is going to be different. Every group of players is going to be different. So just having the information so you can decide is is probably the the best thing to move forward. For sure, yeah. So let's talk about rules. What the Ooh. book says. Ooh, book learning. Let's be book smart. <laughs> um, I'm going to let you go ahead and kick off the 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 first part of this. Felicia. For sure, yeah. Um, so again, I'm you know speaking particularly from D and D, but we will cover Pathfinder as well. Um, so. When a player rolls, let's say like for attack rolls, if a player rolls a 20, it's going to automatically be uh, a hit um, and it's going to invoke a critical hit. So in D&D, when you do a critical hit, that means that you have to roll the damage dice twice, um, including any additional dice, like scenarios, like say like a rogue sneak attack or whatever. Um, Paladin smite uh, damage dice. I smite thee (laughs) in a particularly smitey way. (laughs) um pathfinder which is you know on on your side of the pond here um you were saying that it's a natural a nat 20 is an automatic hit um but then you have to confirm the critical you know the critical the crit by rolling again right and hitting yeah so um so if you roll a if you roll a natural 20 when you're trying to attack the first time that's an automatic hit regardless mm-hmm. of the AC of the target that you're trying to hit. Okay. And then if you want that that sweet sweet double damage uh, <laughs> rules is written you have to roll again and and use your attack to uh, again beat the target's AC. So if you do that mm-hmm. then you get the then you get the additional damage. If you don't you just get the automatic hit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now 
we'll talk a little bit about some alternatives for for some of these uh, moving forward. I I will say right now that I don't do the the confirm crit. I just felt like it slowed down my game a little bit um, when yeah, you had to roll the hit and then roll the hit again and roll the hit, roll the hit. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep so. it nice and nice and simple on that. Yeah, um. and. When you're, when you're, wh- whichever system you're talking about, when you double that damage, you're doubling the rolls, but not necessarily the modifiers. So, yeah, uh, I didn't, I didn't look this up in, in Pathfinder. I, th- I think it's the same, but I didn't look it up specifically. I know in D and I looked this up. You double those rolls. You don't double the plus one. So if you're using a plus one sword, you double the damage for the rolls, but not the plus one. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a really important, you know. Um, kind of nuance to keep in mind. Uh, it makes a huge difference when it comes to combat too. You know, you don't get those little extra, little extra pluses. Um, the, on the flip side of that, quite literally is, is if you're playing as a DM, the monster, you know, you're, you're going to be rolling just as much as your players. So, um, for D and D, if you roll and let's say like you do a nat 20, you're going to take the average provided for it. You know how, um, in the monster descriptions, and we were talking about this earlier, how it'll say, oh, you know, your monster, you know, what is it 2d6 plus whatever, or average six, whatever. We'll just give a number out there. Um, you're going to take that average provided and then roll a single time and then add them together, add those two together. So, yeah, Obviously, if no got, modifiers. You got a goblin who's swinging his little short sword with 1d6 plus two damage. Mm-hmm. Um, the five is the average. So you'll take a five, you roll the one D six and add that to it. And that yes. would be your damage according to how the, uh, the DM's guide is written. Now Ugh. I know I don't do this. <laughs> I don't I, do that either. <laughs> I was like, what I is just, this? I just treat it like the players, like, like it's yeah. player. So I, I roll double the damage. Yeah. Let's, or let's I, roll twice. Let's just keep yeah. it simple. I, it's not, and some people do where they'll roll once and just double that roll. Yeah. Either way is is fine as long as you define what you're doing beforehand so that the player doesn't roll yeah. a one and be like, oh, I was rolling twice and pick it up and roll again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, I Yeah, I, I don't like overcomplicating things. Um, I just keep it simple and straightforward. I Yeah, I was reading that and I was like, oh, yeah, that's 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 too much effort. That's too much for me. <laughs> Yeah. And, and this is just one of those cases where it's 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 your game as the DM. You can mm-hmm. choose to modify those rules so that it makes a sense for your table. If you like the whole average plus a dice roll and take the square root of 34 to to add to that or whatever. Well the northwest <laughs> wind. Yeah. Then then do do whatever works for you. Uh, do whatever works for you, boo boo. Yeah. For for my game, I just I just roll it like like I would if if it was a player rolling. So yeah. Uh so we're still talking about attacks but uh let's talk about if they roll a one for an attack dun 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 yeah you don't want to see a one because that is an mm-hmm. automatic miss regardless yeah. of what the the t- bonuses that you have are the target ac or any of that fun yeah. stuff um this is pretty clear i don't think anybody who's played the game for any period of time there's any sort of question about this so let's not not belabor the critical miss point we, we will talk a little bit more about it later about some options for changing it up yes but for right now with the rules let's move on <laughs> yes we know you missed <laughs> all right <laughs> um we do want to talk a little bit about death saving throws because while people don't necessarily always think about critical successes and failures mm. they do apply to death saving throws as well yes so for D&D, um, if you roll that natural one, 
that's going to count as two failures. So you only have one left before you are dead, dead. Yes. Um, and if you get a, if you get a nat 20, that, that actually ends the death saving throw count. You have succeeded and not dying and regained a hit point. Which is wow. awesome, by the way. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, now Pathfinder is a little bit different because they don't, um, they don't have the concept of the, of the, um, the death saving throw quite in the same manner. There's yeah. still a, a constitution saving throw involved and, and negatives involved based upon how far below zero your hit points are and all this mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, but rolling a one with Pathfinder is just a regular failure, uh, regardless of any bonuses or anything like that. Yeah. And a uh, 20 is an automatic success, regardless of any minuses or anything that, that you have to that. So yeah. fairly, fairly simple there. Uh, you're not having to keep track of a lot of stuff there. Uh, just moving on forward. Yeah. Uh, and then another topic um, when it comes to rolling ones and 20s, not you know, um, successes and failures is like your skill checks. So like skills themselves, like in and of themselves don't have automatic su successes or failures that like one in 20 don't necessarily play the same prevalent role that they do in say like combat. I mean, Wait, personal you preference. mean I can't do anything I want to just by rolling a 20? <laughs> I know it sounds so crazy. You can't be that halfling bard throwing that windmill. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's again, this is your game, your DM. You're the one running it. So, I mean, if there are extra things that you want to add or you have other personal preferences that you want to try, obviously have at it. But in and of themselves, if we're talking just by the rules, there's not automatic successes and failures. It's not going to be like, oh, you are particularly weak. Ha, ha, ha. And everyone laughs at it. <laughs> and, and I know that there's a number of people out there that, that they do prefer to have a, a critical success on skill rolls in their game. And, mm -hmm. and that's fine. Uh, I don't typically have them. I, I'll do so. I'll sometimes do some other things, which we'll talk about later. But even if, even if with a natural twenty, they the player can't succeed, I will still have them roll the dice yeah. uh, for for a couple of different reasons. One, I don't keep detailed track of what my player's character sheet says. So if mm -hmm. they have a, if they've got a plus one or a plus ten on a skill. I don't know that uh, they, they keep track of that. They let me know. I trust my players to to do the right thing there. So it, it's up to them to, to do that. I'm not going to have their character sheet on standby. Yeah. So first off, if it's if it is a high roll for success, I don't know if they can succeed or not. So I'm still going to have them roll. Um, second off, even if even if I did know what their skill was, I still will have them roll if they can't succeed because there may be another member of the party that has a higher bonus that mm -hmm. could succeed with a nat 20. And I don't want to discourage that anybody from trying just because I say, Hey, Billy Bob, your, your, uh, your barbarian is not going to, going to succeed on this charisma check here. Yeah. Um, I, I want them to, to understand that they can try anything that they want they may or may not succeed and it may or may not be realistic for them to succeed just depending on what's going on. Just like that halfling bard. Yep. <laughs> so I, uh, I think we've kind of really covered the rules uh, as in depth as we want to. I mean, we could go all sorts of in depth if we wanted to nerd out, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could totally have a nerd off right now, um, but, but let's move forward. <laughs> yeah. There was um, one more uh, little topic when it comes to like rolling ones versus oh, rolling twenties. Yeah. 20s. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had talked about, you know, attack rolls and skill checks and things like that. Um, there was one thing that when I 
was playing a tiefling sorceress uh, in one game um, and I had wild magic. And the thing was that, you know, rolling a, a nat 20, for example, meant that like something unpredictable happened every time I tried to cast a spell. And it was neither good nor bad, but it was just something completely random. You know, like maybe someone's skin turned green or maybe like a unicorn ran through in the middle of combat. Didn't actually do anything, just ran through. Um, but sometimes like it's just, you know, also to acknowledge that like those those rolling a one or rolling a 20 can also result in something unpredictable. It's not always a success or a failure. It may just end up resulting in something unexpected. Yeah, so if you've got critical critical successes, which are good things, and critical failures, which are bad things, what are the things that are neither good nor bad? <laughs> yeah, they're just unpredictable. They're pleasant, critical, but they're surprising. Cr- critical status quos. <laughs> <laughs> critical surprises. <laughs> Take you off guard. Who knows? But yeah. Yep. So that was the thing that I I, I missed in looking at the notes. <laughs> but I think we're we're good with the rules now. Or if I missed something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So moving on to our next topic, we were saying before about how we were talking about critical hit alternatives. Like what are some other things you can do with those critical hits? Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a couple of good ideas, I think. Yeah, so uh, you could you could take the the stuff that's in Pathfinder, uh, where you have the confirming critical hit. If you wanted to mm-hmm. implement that in your D and D game or whatever game, uh, and you may be looking at at your players and being like, "Man, these guys are getting too many critical hits. They're wiping out my enemies. <laughs> I gotta do something." Change. So that may be an option to do it, where not every mm-hmm. time they roll a twenty, they're not going to wipe out uh, um, Vlad the the impaler yeah, uh, or Vlad. Um, so, uh, and, and, uh, you just implement it the same way where you, they have to roll it, uh, roll the two hit number. Now, if you really wanted to make those critical hit damages minor and very, very infrequent, mm-hmm. I don't recommend this, but you could make it to where they have to roll a 20, uh, again. So you're, you're rolling a 20 and rolling another 20. Good I don't, with that one. I think your players would probably have a problem with that, but, you go right ahead if that's your yeah. <laughs> if that's your your bag. <laughs> uh, the other thing you can do is there are uh, there are critical hit card decks and critical hit effects charts that you can find out on the internet mm. to where you're not just doubling the damage. You're actually doing something that's um, not the same every time. Yeah. May, maybe your critical hit has has an effect of lopping off a limb. They don't have an arm, so they can't attack with that arm anymore. Or maybe just a they, flesh wound. Maybe they fall prone or or it could be a number of things, but but the card decks and the effects charts give you the option to leverage those in your game yeah. and and provide a little bit more flavor than just, hey, you did more damage. And I always find like, I mean, honestly, like charts are something after my own heart anyways, because I love my charts and spreadsheets. <laughs> Gee, I, I, I kind of knew that. <laughs> But um, for me, especially like, you know, as an up and coming DM, if you will, the charts and the card decks were particularly helpful because like there was only so much that I could think of or create on my own or having flipped through the pages of, you know, the book. And then when I was looking at like these these pre-made charts and these these decks, they were like coming up with these different scenarios or different, you know, instances. And I was like, oh, wow, that yeah, that's actually something I had never thought of before. So, you know, it definitely is something I mean, I'm sure someone like you who have like years of experience and have probably gone through practically every scenario that you can, this is nothing new to you. But if you're a bit of a noob like me, um, it's definitely something that, you know, can be helpful to help you think outside of the box, either provided as a resource or as inspiration for something else. 
Yeah, they they can definitely be fun and and get you kind of out of a get you kind of out of a rut because even yeah. if you've done something before, if you've only done it once, then you probably don't remember anything about it. <laughs> uh, and and the other thing I want to want to kind of bring up there, just because you're using the critical hit deck, doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you only have to do that, and it doesn't mean yeah. that you you uh, can't roll extra damage um, or you can't alternate between the two. Uh, Absolutely. You, based upon, you could even have a coin flip and say, "Oh, it's Ooh. heads. That means you do extra damage. Oh, it's tails. We grab Rock, a card. Paper, for the scissors. Deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it's it's a way to kind of keep some variability in the in the game keep your your players interested in, in more than just the fact that they did some damage yeah um so when we're talking about other alternatives now this is like just something i do as a dm because i do tend to try and keep things as straightforward and simple for my players just so that we can focus more on like the story and the fun of it versus like all the number crunching and everything so you know for critical hits for example like just for me if they roll a nat 20 it's maximum damage with a single roll um, you had talked about another thing to do is that you could also do max damage and then add an extra die in addition to what mm-hmm. they rolled for that little extra boost of damage. Um, I think those are both really great alternatives. Like I said, the first one is the one I tend to utilize. Um, but I like how, you know, you, you were saying that, oh, you can even add a little extra to it if they do an at 20. That's also a really great way to, um, kind of reward them for that nat 20 roll. Yeah, and and using the the max max damage uh, way is especially helpful for groups like yours where you have a lot of people at the table. Yeah, and and you get somebody rolling a critical hit, and maybe they're a they're a rogue, and they get three d six sneak attack damage, and and one d six of of the sword damage, and so now they're rolling, and maybe they only have three d six, and so they're rolling <laughs> multiple times, and. It, it can it can cause the, the game to drag. So maxing yeah. out that damage can help with that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably why I, I ended up defaulting to that, just because my groups did tend to be rather large. And I was like, we don't have time for this. This is this is too much per <laughs> turn. So are you a forever DM? Do you look into the future and see no opportunity for joining a game as a player? If that's the case, and you just want a little break to bust some heads and clear out a bandit fortress, Darkwind's got you covered. With areas built for all levels in mind and lots of character customization options, you can have fun in your break from being a DM. The best part? You don't have to lay down any cash for source books, miniatures, or anything else, because Darkwind is completely free. So go to play.darkwind.org to create your character today. Let's get back to the show. Let's talk now about uh, about some alternatives for critical misses where, mm. where the player rolls a one and they missed, but maybe you want to make it more than a miss. <laughs> we really like to embarrass our players. <laughs> now, my my personal recommendation, if you're going to do something more than that, the, the way that I prefer to do it, and I know you, you do it a different way, but the way that I like to do it is actually doing confirming that critical miss so they rolled a one uh you have them roll again and if they if they would have hit with that die roll uh then they just missed there's nothing Mm -hmm. else happens uh but if they if they don't hit that number uh then something could happen and the farther Mm -hmm. away they get from that number the worse that the the, (laughs) the thing could be so it could be something as simple as um falling down dropping their weapon 
And on the on the bad end, it could be breaking a weapon. And somewhere in the middle, maybe hurt, hitting an ally or something like that. Uh, whatever it is, just just kind of decide what it's going to be and and leverage that. Again, you may not want to do this with a larger group because you're you're adding more roles to that to that yeah. uh, with that critical miss confirmation. But it's an option. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, like I said, definitely not an option for larger groups. Uh, there was one time when I was playing with another DM of ours, and um, I lent my bow and arrow to one of my companions, and then he he was just rolling so low all night long. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there was a little voice in the back of my head that was like, this is probably not the best idea considering how he's rolling tonight. And I was like, no, that's fine. So I give him the bow and arrow, and sure enough, Sure enough, the second he tries to use it, he rolls a one. So the DM ended up having him miss so badly that he ended up shooting me in the butt with my own bow and arrow. <laughs> so fun, be, fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I know I mentioned breaking a weapon. I would say mm-hmm. that would be the extreme rarest case of things because yeah. it, you're you're when a player rolls a, a critical hit. And let's just say that they automatically get the damage. They got a five percent chance to do that. And if yeah. you're on a five percent chance of a of a one, having them break their weapon, the 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 comparison between the two is pretty extreme. Five okay. percent uh, chance to break your weapon. So it's something that I would do, maybe one percent of the five percent of the time. So yeah, if if that, um, and if they do break their weapon, plan on having some way for them to repair or or replace it cover a new one yeah i think that's that's smart i mean i think completely depriving your players of an actual weapon especially one that they may utilize often Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's definitely a scenario i would not recommend you know implementing all that often (laughs) and of course uh just like critical hits your critical misses also can come with decks and charts and all sorts of fun things that you can reference for punishment i mean uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, same thing, you know, um, I, like I said, I appreciate it because when I, so when I try to do scenarios where there are critical misses, I just try to be really funny and humorous about it. And those charts, things like that, you know, if I can see it, I'm like, okay, this chart's nice to reference. And I can kind of take that and modify and make it as some sort of funny scenario versus just kind of whipping up something out of my head. Again, mm-hmm. I'm maybe just not quite there in my DM skills yet, but it does help me to have something there to visually reference. And then that way I can be creative with it. Yeah. And, and just because it's a, it's a critical miss doesn't mean it has to be this big negative effect to the player. It could be, as you said, something funny, um, Mm -hmm. something that, that doesn't mechanically have uh, an effect on the player, but it could have, a uh we'll say moral or, or <laughs> reputational effect on the player there's a that, lesson to be learned <laughs> yeah that, that 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 is just silly uh so keep yeah. that in mind it doesn't have to be a, a mechanical negative to the to what what happens uh if you decide to to implement the the critical miss stuff and you honestly never know because you might come across players that are just gluttons for punishment like <laughs> i my i did a little mini campaign recently and I might have mentioned this in the previous episode, but my husband being the dwarf that he was, you know, when they decided to go uh, explore this one abandoned um, fort, saw this altar and 
There was like offerings and food and he shoved all of his companions out of the way and started eating off of the altar and he got cursed. <laughs> Later on, they found another altar with, you know, some gemstones and things. And you want to know what he does? He shoves his companions out of the way and starts taking all the stuff off of the altar again. You would think he would have learned the first time, but I really just think he enjoyed the punishment. Yep. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. <laughs> and I, I will say I've played games where, where players are really into the things like using the critical uh, success mm-hmm. and critical failure decks because they think that it's fun and funny and, and like, yeah. oh, he just fell on his butt while he was trying to swing at that goblin. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Uh, yeah. um, but there are players that really don't like it. So yeah. part part of the thing when you're when you're considering whether to have these changes, again, like anything else we've talked about, is consider your players and what 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 they're going to enjoy in the game. That is very, very true. In the end, it always comes back to the players. Yep. <laughs> and kind of the last thing to talk about uh, for for that critical miss alternative is a DM's discretion thing. So you could uh, have something always happen. They drop a weapon, they fall down, whatever, when they get a critical miss. Yeah. Uh, or you could have um, something happen for drama or for the story. So oh, yeah. maybe maybe they rolled a one and you wanted it to look like the the combat was going against them so that they could come back and have this heroic victory. Or maybe the the critical fail made them fall into something that revealed something as part of the part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is, and and you you have a way of of doing it that that's kind of a DM's discretion. I I do as well, but yeah. What do you I mean? My Mine, again, this comes back to the fact that, like, my groups tend to be larger than uh, than not. And so, again, I keep it simplistic. I keep it straightforward, short, sweet, to the point. They roll a one. They're definitely just going to be doing something. Something bad is probably <laughs> going to happen. And usually for me, I have either, uh, depending, like, if they're shooting something at a creature and there's, like, a companion on the other side of that creature, I may have them end up shooting their friend instead. Um, or they maybe like are trying to like run towards them with an ax and they trip over something on the floor and now they're lying prone and now they have to roll at a disadvantage. Either way, something bad's going to happen when they roll a one. But again, that's just because I have a lot of people in a lot of turns. So I just don't have time to do those extra rolls to see what other alternatives might exist. This is my alternative because it gets, it gets the story <laughs> moving. Yep. Um, so I guess that brings us to critical success alternatives for skills. And I know we said that the, I know that we said that the rules didn't have critical successes and, and, and in some cases I think that you still shouldn't have them because there are going to be things that are not realistically possible. Um, Like the guy that wants to jump to the moon because he's got a high strength with good bonuses there. He's not going to be able to get to the moon no matter what he rolls. He can roll a 25 times in a row and he's probably not going to get to the moon. Um, you don't know him. <laughs> that being said, I would still let him roll. <laughs> um, and and if they if they do get a nat twenty in that impossible situation, you can ha- still have them have a a cool result that wasn't what they were trying to do. So in the in the case of jumping to the moon, wow, you just jumped higher than you've ever jumped. You did a flip in the air. You did a perfect two point landing. Everybody that was around saw you try to do this, and they clapped because it was such an impressive jump. Yeah, he didn't get to the moon, but hey, it was kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, the, uh, the other thing that you can do too is, is you know, instead of having them do something well related to that, like you were saying, maybe he didn't jump to the moon, but he did a really cool backflip jump and it was very impressive. Um, you know, you can always have them succeed at something else that necessarily wasn't intended. Um, you know, 
maybe jumping was his objective and his goal, but maybe he ended up doing something else that was particularly cool. Maybe he came up with a new acrobatic move and now everyone calls that like maybe he, he learned how to dab. I don't know, <laughs> you know, and now it's like the new dance move and he's crazy popular across the country. Every time someone sees him, they're like, hey, dude, what's up, dab? You know, you don't know. <laughs> Just saying, you know, you can be fun with it, too. Um, Because, you know, it's like you're sort of softening the blow. That poor halfling bard may not have been able to throw that windmill, but he's a pretty popular guy now. Yeah. And uh, and if it it is something that's possible and they roll an at 20, I do have I do like some options there. So. If they're doing something that that would take a significant amount of time, like I, I usually mm. usually uh, play like picking a lock, it's not instant. It's gonna take it's gonna take some time to get through that lock. They can get it done quicker than they might normally do it. Yeah, no, that that's good. Things that take less time, especially if you're sneaking around and you know you're at risk of being discovered, discovered. by someone. Yeah, exactly. Um, or you gave a really good example before where like, hey, you were trying to do something and then they ended up getting sort of an additional little tidbit of something else. You're searching a room and you you happen to roll particularly well um, in your investigation. And then all of a sudden as you're searching, you hear like muffled conversation from the room next door. Something that you weren't like even looking for, but you just happened to hear because you rolled particularly well. And, uh, and then something that doesn't have an effect on the game, but can also kind of reward your players in a certain way is to give them that additional description of their success, the, the flair of how they did it. They didn't just jump over the chasm. They jumped over the chasm and, and did this pose as they did it. And, yes. and it was just majestic and looked like they were about to take flight, but they made it to the other side of the castle, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just to give them like a, Hey, yeah, you succeeded and you succeeded really well. You still just did the thing you were looking for, but you succeeded really well. <laughs> extra narrative as a reward. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so let's talk about uh, critical failures for skills. Mm. Does it exist? <laughs> yeah, so typically I don't. So this is while I will apply some things occasionally to critical mm-hmm. successes for skills. I usually try to shy away from the critical fa- failures for skills. Um, typically there's modifiers and all sorts of other things get that get added onto that role. So it's not yeah. going to be a, a nat one. It'll be a nat one plus six or whatever. And yeah, attacks have that, but I, I still try to avoid it for skills. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's your game at the end of the day and you're the DM. <laughs> so if you still want to acknowledge that net, what, that net one in spite of the fact that they have modifiers, that's all on you. But uh, it, it's a scenario that I think is, is few and far in between of them actually rolling a net one and it's staying a net one. Mm-hmm. Um. I think for me, that's an occurrence that might happen only because I do take in so many <laughs> new players. Um, I had a friend who played with us last time. We had a very small one. It was my husband, our friend that was staying with us, and then one other friend that that came over. And um, we were doing our masks on social distancing kind of um, D&D campaign, and it was her first time ever playing. She had never played role-playing. She had no idea what she was doing. And just for the sake of enjoyment – we just kind of gave her a very abbreviated <laughs> version of what the rules were. There was no point bogging her down with the complexities, right? Mm-hmm. So when it came to wanting to do something strength-wise, because she was an elf, uh, I believe she was an elf druid 
or an elf. Might have been elf sorceress, but either way, something someone not known for strength. Yeah, something <laughs> particularly squishy. Um, you know, there came a scenario that required strength, and she wanted to try her hand at it. And <laughs> you know, she she had a negative one modifier. So had she rolled a nat one, I mean, what was what would average be? negative 0.5 i mean <laughs> she would end up being worse off than what she actually would have naturally rolled so in, in in circumstances like that where you have people who maybe don't necessarily recognize that they may not be the best choice for certain scenarios and they want to try their hand at it anyways that that potential does exist like that scenario might happen and and you can do things like have them fail in a in a funny way. Oh yes. Again, it doesn't affect the game, but mm-hmm. it 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 kind of calls out that hey, you rolled a one. Yeah. You did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but have them have them do something goofy, have them uh, make a social misstep or yeah. whatever it is. Have them do something that that is a little bit more funny than just failing. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned a really good like again. This is a a very rare occurrence for the most part. So, you know, if like my friend here who negative one rolled in at one, <laughs> you know, it, it does have to result in something. And you were saying, for example, let's say you had a rogue who was trying to pick a lock um, or maybe just, let's just say a dwarf tried his hand at it. You know, he was, like, was trying to pick a lock. <laughs> he was just trying to pick this lock uh, and he rolled in that one and he just did not have the skills for it. Um, maybe he ends up breaking that lock. So, I mean, there's there's still going to be consequences in some ways. And I'm not saying that we're all about breaking weapons and breaking locks and, you know, putting people like, you know, dead ends in front of people where they can't do anything more with the story. But um, I think it's just good for you to explore those potential alternatives. What would you say would happen if that circumstance were to arise, if you're DMing a group where that potential has a greater chance of existing? Yeah. And, and if you decide to go down this route where you're doing these critical failures, even in combat, a critical failure, you need to keep in mind what bearing it has on the rest of the game. So if breaking the lock is going to have really no effect and the story will continue as always, then Mm -hmm. yeah, you can consider doing that. But if it's going to cause a serious, uh, serious problem with continuing the story and you don't have another option to continue the story, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> that was the only exit. <laughs> but, uh, counter to that, you can also have, have a critical fail be an option to open up other story options uh, so that, so that you're, Maybe the broken lock leads them good to go a different way where they discover other other side quests or anything like that as they get get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you're not completely shutting down the game by having by implementing a critical failure, I think it can be okay again, just making sure that that everybody's having fun there. Yes, yes, because that's really all it's about at the end of the day is having fun. Yep. So uh, let's talk about other options for using critical success and failure. We talked about yeah. things like uh, death saving throws and combat and skills. Skill checks, and yeah. Sorcerers and all sorts of things. But um, what are some, I know that you have a couple of things that you do that, that yeah. by rolling a one or a 20 will seriously affect um, something that <laughs> someone is doing. I mean, my, my favorite opportunity for those kinds of scenarios is um, investigation roles. Like, let's say, you know, you've either finished defeating some sort of raiding party and now you want to, like, 
you know, scavenge their bodies or you've come into a room or a cavern and you want to see what's around. Um, I love, 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 love using nat ones and nat twenties for distribution of items. Um, I like to save particular items for my characters. Like, you know, you roll a, a two through a 19 and I distribute them based off of how well my, my players roll. If they happen to roll a nat 20, I have a few very, very special items in reserve for those nat 20 rolls. Uh, my players know me. A nat 20 is inevitably going to lead to the very same solution, which is an old crusty sock. <laughs> you that mean is, a nat one? Yes. What did I say? You said a nat 20. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? Nat 20s also get crusty. They get, they get fresh pairs of socks. Sorry. Okay. Backwards. I was nat about to, one. <laughs> I was going to say, that's not fair. Crusty socks are the special prizes in your game. <laughs> that little extra crust <laughs> on the top. <laughs> um, yeah. What were you wanting on that? My nat ones, not my nat twenties, listeners. My nat ones will always inevitably result in an old crusty sock, and just one. You don't get a pair; you get one. Um, maybe if you're lucky enough, or yeah. unlucky enough, you'll get a pair in the long run. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, my players that have like a nice little stash of crusty socks that they've like kind of tried to fold and put into their bags. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's, that's something that I just, I enjoy having and they all know better. The second that they roll a nat one, they're just like, it's a crusty sock, isn't it? And I'm like, hey, you know, <laughs> and just having, having fun with the players. Um, oh, yeah. the other things that, uh, that you can do when you're talking about critical successes and failures, uh, this really applies, I think, towards the skills and what somebody's doing and, and leveraging things like their class and races, um, when they when they do roll on the on the edges of the dice, for instance. So mm. if if you have a critical failure and you're dealing with someone who has something against um, spellcasters, for instance, mm -hmm. maybe it's not just a failure. It's a failure that like he berates you for being a spellcaster, <laughs> whatever. It was uh, really demeaning. It was awfully mean. But if it's if it's a nat twenty, maybe this person like is in awe of spellcasters. He gives you a better yeah. deal on something or or whatever. Yeah. Uh, just depending upon again, this is just kind of taking account the environment into those roles as well, not just saying a roll's a roll's a roll. Yeah. Um, using using that to make those roles a little bit more interesting. I think the other thing, um, you know, to consider is is you know race and class of your particular characters i had one scenario where one of my characters is a dragonborn and the group was fighting a dragon and he was like well i'm a dragonborn and that's a dragon so let me see if i can like talk him down and sort of see like hey bro you know <laughs> one love um to which you know i i was sort of on the fence about how i wanted to approach that and in, in the end i actually just ended up looking up the stats for that particular dragon he was chaotic evil so i was like yeah no this isn't happening he can give, he can give two craps about one love for dragons um but you know it was a scenario that this would have applied really well like hey you know depending on Roll how you persuasion exactly let's can you persuade do you even speak this dragon's language i mean there's <laughs> dragon born you know these halfling dragons and maybe he scoffs at you because he's like hey half blood um, you know, you never know, but there's other instances I had one where a tiefling was like, Oh, I have, um, immunity to fire. You know, can I walk through this, this river of lava? Does that count? Um, and it's like, okay, well, let's see resistance to fire. Is that the same thing as resistant to lava? Does magma get how many degrees hotter than fire? And what's the <laughs> level of it? So obviously my brain went into like extreme 
overdrive of calculations. But the weird research you do as a DM. <laughs> that would have also been, I think, a good opportunity um, to have that rolling. Um, and, you know, the nat one versus the nat 20 would have been. And I think my reward, if it had been like a nat 20 roll, would have been like, hey, not only, you know, you, you successfully go through it. And from now on, you realize that you also have immunity to things like lava. You know, it just would have been a, sm- a small little add-on um, that I would have awarded to my characters. So, I mean, just things like that. There could be things, you know, if they're a bard, if they're a halfling, a tiefling, a dragonborn, that, like, there are inevitably going to be scenarios where your players are going to try and barter their way through something, and it might be a really great opportunity for that nat 1 or nat 20. Just that. So I had I had one more thing I wanted to add to the list of things we are going to talk about that we didn't talk about Ooh. in planning. Um and that is when you have a player that that fails that skill check, whether it is a critical failure or not, um, my preference is to to describe things in a way where if they didn't know, they might think it was a success. Uh, so for <laughs> because you don't <laughs> if if your player does something like if you're hiding and you think that you're well hidden, um, and the other person just rolls really high, you don't know that they rolled really high until they say, hey, you get out of there. Yeah. Uh, likewise, if you're identifying a barrier of some sort, uh, if you roll really low on that with your your uh, nature or survival check, depending upon which one you, you choose, and you should listen to our last episode to find out about that, yeah. <laughs> um, then, then you may misidentify the barrier. In fact, I had this happen with my group recently where the ranger was like, he found these berries in these bushes, like, hey, let me identify these. And he rolled, he rolled a two um, <laughs> with his bonuses. He got like a five well, or or hmm. six. And and so he failed. He didn't feel, fail terribly. So I told him that the berries themselves were inane. They were just berries. You could have eaten them. I told him that they were, um, they were knockout berries, that, that if you crushed them up and put them in somebody's drink, they, they would fall asleep. Oh, no. And he's been carrying these around. Oh, no. I was <laughs> I was so excited oh, a couple of no. sessions ago when he was like, oh, we need to capture this guy. I'm going to put the I'm going to ground up some of the knockout berries and put it in his drink. I was like, no. all right, you do that. And then he just couldn't figure out why the guy wasn't passing out. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you remember two episodes back when uh, you thought those were knockout berries? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he still doesn't know, and he still has some of them. So that it makes me excited that uh, that 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 was actually a, an instance where I was able to tell him something that wasn't true, but what his character believed that he actually like followed through with that. That yeah. was a lot of fun. That's hilarious. That's that's some like true like evil DM planning, like long term planning. I've got to utilize that in one of my campaigns. <laughs> ah, hilarious. So I think that's, uh, unless you had anything else to last minute add, like I just did, uh, I think that's all we had. (laughs) Ontonade is the price of life. I dig it. All right. So uh, until next time. Stay nerdy, friend. As always, please share us to your friends and family to help us grow. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show was edited by John Welsh. You can find us on the web at becomingdm.com and Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm or on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. We'll see you in two weeks.